Welcome to How to Stop Climate Change. I'm your host, David Butler, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Russell, and my producer and daughter, Keaton Butler. Our guest today is Diego Saez-Gill, founder and CEO of Pachama, a carbon offset and technology company that is harnessing satellite imagery and artificial intelligence to measure and monitor carbon capture in forests. Reducing the cost of measuring the amount of carbon stored in forests means that more of the money spent on carbon offsets can go to landowners. Improving the accuracy of those measurements means that people and companies who purchase carbon offsets are more confident that their money is being spent on effective carbon removal solutions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to How to Stop Climate Change. I'm here with Matt Russell. How are you doing today, Matt? Absolutely super, David. Keeping very well. Got to go out and visit friends and family recently, getting back out into the outdoors, do a bit of hunting and fishing. So I am on top of the world at the moment. It's, things are getting back to normal in Ireland. Do you have to wear a mask when you go hunting and fishing? <laughs> I do, but that's for camouflage. Oh, okay. Now we're pretty good over here at the moment. Um, in Ireland, we've kind of got a handle on things for the moment, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Okay, well, I wish I could say that about the U.S., but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we have a handle on it yet. But I see more and more people wearing masks, so that's good. Yeah, we'll watch with interest. Yeah. Anyway, what have you got going on? What's, what's going on your way? Well, I've been uh, super busy with my real job. I lead the sustainability team at Alltech, which is an ag biotech company. And we just published our first ever sustainability report. So that was super exciting. Bravo. A lot of work gone into that, I'd say. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about our interview today. I think that our guest, Diego Saez-Gill, has a, a pretty interesting story. And, um, you know, one thing I like about it is that he didn't start out his career working to fight climate change or protect the environment or protect forests or anything. He was in the he was a tech entrepreneur. And then at some point he was like, I'm going to put my skills to use on this very urgent problem. I think it kind of illustrates that, you know, it doesn't matter what sector you're in. You can make a contribution. Yeah, I um, I really like that side of things. I think I've read someplace that uh, he was actually traveling in South America and saw the effect deforestation was having real time. And it just moved him to say, oh, of all the things I could be doing, this is something I should be doing and I should be doing it now. And uh, changed the direction of his life and his industry there and then. And I'm looking forward to hearing how he has taken that idea and the impact it made at the time and changed it into the initiative, the organization and the the efforts he's trying to make with regards to reforestation at the moment. Yeah, me too. Let's get started. Thanks so much for joining us today, Diego. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about Pachama and how you got started. What's your background? Pachama is a technology startup that has the mission of helping restore and conserve forest as a solution to climate change. Uh, as you guys may know, uh, forests are an incredibly uh, scalable and potent source of carbon capture. Trees, as they grow, they convert CO2 into wood, into biomass. And we have a billion hectares in the planet that can be restored as forest that according to scientists has the potential of recapturing 200 gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere, which is about two thirds of what we put in the atmosphere since the industrial revolution. 
So we're talking about one of the most meaningful solutions to climate change. And yet, today we are not doing reforestation and conservation at scale. If anything, we're actually losing uh, Amazon rainforest and Congo rainforest at an astonishing rate because uh, people in those places are clear-cutting the forest to do agriculture, cattle ranching, uh, because they are looking for a source of income. Now, uh, we have carbon markets as a mechanism to finance projects that are reducing or removing carbon from the air. And uh, reforestation and forest conservation is one of the type of projects that can receive carbon credits that then can be purchased by corporations or different type of organizations that are looking to offset their carbon emissions. However, that market is uh, a lot smaller of what it could be. And we believe that the reason why it's smaller than it could be is because it's lacking uh, certain technology tools that could make it be uh, more efficient, more transparent, more understandable. And uh, the same way that technology has helped uh, other markets thrive, you know, from travel to real estate to education, uh, we, we, we believe that we should apply the same technology tools to make this market work. And that's what the company does. We use technologies such as satellite images and artificial intelligence to validate and monitor projects that are doing reforestation and forest conservation and that have received carbon credits. And then we use uh, the internet and cloud computing to connect the parties, to connect the companies that are looking for high quality carbon offsets with high quality reforestation and forest conservation projects. We make the matchmaking online and then we provide this data as a way to verify the, the, the commitments and, and the delivery on those commitments by these projects. Now, in terms of the background, um, so me and my co-founder and, and the early team members that joined this company, uh, none of us come from the carbon world, none of us come from sustainability. Uh, we actually, uh, the majority of us come from having backgrounds on different technology companies. But what uh, brought us together was a passion to do something about climate change. And uh, in my particular case, I grew up in Argentina. Uh, I grew up in the north of Argentina in, in a place called Tucumán, uh, an area with beautiful forests that we call La Junga, uh, a tropical forest. And, uh, you know, I saw during my lifetime uh, deforestation, you know, uh, taking down a lot of the forests that I grew up, you know, seeing and visiting. Um, then life brought me into a career in tech. I went to do my master's in Barcelona. Then I came to the U.S. I uh, started a few technology startups. Then I, I, uh, I worked for uh, the company that bought one of my startups. And after my last startup, you know, exited, I decided to take some time off to really uh, stop and think what I wanted to put my efforts on. And I was worrying a lot about climate change and the environmental crisis that we are facing. And, uh, and I decided that even though I had no background that I wanted to work on it. So I uh, started researching what were all the possible solutions in which technology could play a role and identify this opportunity and partner with my friend Tomas, who is a machine learning engineer, who was playing around with satellite images and AI. And, and we, we came out with this idea and, and got started. That's fantastic. Yeah, just to get a sense a little bit about the, the root cause of what you're seeing from a deforestation perspective, you mentioned earlier on that it's people looking for a local source of income. 
Is that common across the board or is it a mix of that and heavy industry, mining, logging, or is it predominantly just people trying to make a living and this is all they have available to them? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of both um, and it depends on the country. Land sometimes is under the concession of, of big corporations. In other cases, uh, land is on, uh, on a mix in between you know, public lands and, and, and local communities. But regardless of, of who is a landowner and, 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 and the reason or the context in which they are taking this forest down, there is an economic cost, right? Which is the, the drive for profit and, and, to, and to get, you know, uh, an economic income out of those lands, right? So what these frameworks try to do is to say, well, forests are providing a service already by capturing carbon. We should be recognizing that service and we should incentivize economically the people who are the, the holders of those lands to, to have an economic incentive not to cut down uh, this forest or to at least manage them sustainable, sustainably. Uh, there are some fra frameworks by which you can, you can still do some harvesting for timber uh, on the forest or on plantations and yet, you know, uh, implement some practices that allow the forest for regrowth and for regeneration. When you talk about bringing technology to carbon offsets, especially forest-related carbon offsets, yeah, you mentioned a bunch of different benefits for that. Um, you know, um, maybe removing the friction in the marketplace, kind of making it easier to have these transactions, but also the verification. Can yes. you dive into, you know, how your software helps with both of those problems? Yes, absolutely. Imagine that today we have all these satellite companies that are producing almost real-time scans of the entire planet. And uh, we have different type of satellite images. You know, we have multispectral satellite images that allow us to see colors that the, the human eye cannot see. Uh, we also have LiDAR, which LiDAR is a, is a technology that allows for a three-dimensional scan of an environment. The word LIDAR originally came from a combination of the words light and radar, and now is also known as an acronym for light detection and ranging. The way it works in short is by measuring the amount of time it takes a light signal to bounce off a surface and return to the scanner. Differences in laser return times and wavelengths can then be used to recreate digital 3D representations of the target. It's basically like the photon version of the echolocation used by bats to detect their surroundings. Now we have a LiDAR in the International Space Station that is producing data of the forest around the planet. You can also attach a LiDAR to an airplane and you can scan a forest three-dimensionally with, with those devices. And then artificial intelligence allows you to process those images at scale and to start making predictions with those images, provided that you train the algorithms with good input data. So an example of, of uh, this uh, particular a type of artificial intelligence that is known as computer vision is, for example, Facebook knowing your face, right? And you're like, how do they know my face? Well, the algorithms train themselves to identify features, you know, the, the shape of your eyebrows, and then they can predict that, that this photo is you. The same way, you know, we could train algorithms to, to predict that a certain shape and color combination of forest contains a certain amount of carbon. So with these technologies, we are aiming to replicate all the key tests that need to be done for the validation of a forest carbon project, which are how much carbon is there in the forest? How much additional carbon is this project going to protect as a result of the work that they're going to do? 
if it is conservation, then we need to know what is the delta between the, the business as usual deforestation scenario in the region versus conservation in this project. What is, the, what is the additional carbon that's going to be captured? If it's reforestation, is to be able to, to predict how much carbon can be collected by, by planting trees there. Um, so those are the type of things that until recently needed some form of manual calculation, sending people to the field to do field plot inventories or to do manual calculations and estimations. We believe that by automatizing all that with software, then we can reduce the cost to you know, a, a fraction of the cost of doing this manually. And in doing so, we could uh, basically make this more accessible for a lot more landowners that want to participate in this um, that, that, provide, that probably today are, are priced out of, the, of, of this market. You're probably aware that there's a lot of controversy around carbon offsets. If carbon offsets are done correctly, they have the potential to remove a lot of carbon from the atmosphere. If they aren't done correctly, they run the risk of giving us a false sense of security and letting big polluters off the hook. So it's important to get them right. One of the biggest challenges and sources of skepticism around carbon offsets is that it's difficult and expensive to verify that a project is removing or storing the amount of carbon that it claims to be. Satellite-based solutions like Diego's could go a long way towards reducing the cost of verifying a carbon offset project and instilling confidence in the effectiveness. That would be a huge benefit. So one of my very simple questions and quite ignorant now had been, is there a metrics we can draw between the amount of deforestation that might happen versus the amount of reforestation that's needed to account for that. And I was thinking about, as you quite rightly said, the manual lifting and trying to calculate that out. That's all an algorithm now. That's big data, machine learning. You're able to take that not on its own, which I was thinking about, but as part of a whole suite of technologies to really get down to the granular aspect of exactly how much carbon there is available to be sequestered or otherwise. Have I is that a reasonable summary? Yeah, that's correct. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a series of uh, different models that are used to model the forest and to, and to test and then come up with a score of the quality of the project. You're never going to have perfect information, right? Uh, a, a tree and, and the shape of the canopy and the color of the canopy is ever changing. So what you can hope for is to have a good estimation, uh, a, a good assignment of how much carbon credits this project should receive that is reasonable within a certain you know a range of, of error and then to be able to know that the people are doing what they're supposed to do right which is uh, you know if they have to conserve or if they have to you know replant trees is find a way to to validate okay yeah the people are doing what they're supposed to do and they know that they are being kept accountable by by the satellite images so we we, we think that by bringing these technologies and these tools to the market we can again reduce the barriers to entry, increase the, the, the accountability and the transparency. And in, in, in doing so, hopefully giving, reducing some of the um, questions or the blockers that some of the corporations may have when it comes to deciding to fund a project like this or not, right? Um, so our, our vision is that if we make this market more, if we help make this market more uh, transparent, more trustworthy, then way more funding is going to go from, from corporations and governments and other organizations towards restoring the planet. Yeah, I think that's excellent that you're creating an opportunity for uh, the landowners, especially smallholders, uh, farmers and ranchers to yeah. keep those trees on their land and, um, 
and and maybe creating a revenue stream too for for governments in countries so they're not yeah so beholden to corporations coming in and and paying them kind of a fraction of what those forests are worth to cut yes. them down exactly yes i mean we as i was saying earlier you know uh, the way i personally see carbon markets is a first step towards giving a value to ecosystem services giving a value to what today we don't put on the balance sheet of of the economy of the economy of the world right um, and unfortunately that price distortion that we have by not accounting for the cost of ecosystems um, leads to it will lead to collapse it will lead to us you know basically consuming all the ecosystems that sustain life on the planet right so i do imagine eventually you know in the future an economy that accounts for for the true value of ecosystem uh, services that that the planet provides to humans you know there's always a debate uh, in the environmental community uh, between what should take the role of protection or you know regeneration like what should government do what should the free market do what should the average citizen do? Like who, who's at fault for all these yeah. things? And more importantly, who should be in charge of fixing them? So um, when you talk about protecting existing forests, probably a lot of people think government should just pass laws and enforce them and say, you can't cut these forests down. Yeah. Are there countries that are doing that successfully? Obviously, that's not happening everywhere. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I do think that, that governments have an enormous role to play, but unfortunately we are still seeing, you know, leadership that is so short-sighted, you know, that is looking at the next election and, and, and therefore they're not thinking long-term. They don't care you know, about long-term, uh, you know, ecosystem preservation for future generations. So in the absence of, you know, uh, leadership by governments, I think that private actors do have a role to play. And I think that corporations are, the new global players, right? Today we have corporations that are bigger than countries, right? Uh, corporations here in Silicon Valley have more money on their balance sheets than than the entire than, than than many countries together, right? So, and it's really encouraging to see the leadership of these corporations saying we do have a play to role, a role to play, and 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 we do want to do the right thing, take responsibility for our part, invest on solutions to climate change. Uh, today there was an announcement of Amazon pledging $2 billion, you know, for, for climate solutions. And, uh, you know, Microsoft is an, another example. And there are many other, other, you know, big companies that are taking the role. And so, you know, our take is, okay, if, if there are these private um, players that want to make the role, uh, then let's make sure that we provide the tools so that this funding goes to the right solutions, right? And then the other side, you know, also with landowners, we've spoken with a lot of landowners. I spoke with landowners in, in Argentina, in Peru, in Brazil, who also want to do the right thing, you know, and that, you know, just given the tools, they would choose, you know, for, for conservation and restoration of forests, knowing that they provide an enormous, you know, value to humanity. But, you know, it's just about aligning incentives and putting the tools in place so that these this, this frameworks can work. And then finally, I'll say that also individuals, you know, have, uh, you know, a, a role to play. We all can, you know, uh, make a contribution, you know, uh, either offsetting our own emissions, or, or, you know, there are plenty of things we can talk about that, you know, the role of the individual, you know, but in, in, a, in a context of carbon markets, you know, uh, my take is that 
yes, government, you know, should definitely, you know, uh, play a role in the policy uh, arena, but also private companies and individuals have, have, have to take responsibility. Are you mapping um, predominantly Peru and Brazil, or is there a global application for this software? Yeah. So I talk about the different models. We, we have different models that, that have different, um, you know, sort of like sources of data. So some of our models are global and, and they can work, you know, in, in any part of the planet. Other, global, other models that require local specific information to be trained, then, you know, for those models, we are going region by region. We actually started with North America, with the U.S., and we have probably the best data in the U.S., um, and, and then we moved to South America. And in South America, yes, we have really good data of Brazil, Peru, Colombia, Mexico as well, you know, with, yeah, uh, which is North America. We have really good, good data as well. And, and yeah, a part of the, 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 the work that we're doing is collecting all these data sources and, you know, trying to get our hands into, you know, national forest inventories that can help us uh, uh, improve our algorithms. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, I just want to take a second to say thanks to Tim Mina. Tim is our very first Patreon donor, and that really means a lot. It gives us the encouragement to keep forging ahead with the podcast and to work hard to make better and better episodes. So thanks so much, Tim. We really appreciate that. To learn how to support the show, go to howtostopclimatechange.com slash support or patreon.com slash howtostopclimatechange. For somebody looking to offset their carbon by purchasing credits, what should they be concerned about to avoid picking the wrong option or maybe investing in something that isn't fully validated? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and that's part of what we're trying to do. Also make it easier for small businesses uh, that maybe don't even have a sustainability department, right? That, you know, but they, they want to do the right thing to come to our website and, and we want to help them you know, very quickly you know, get a sense of what is the footprint that they, they have, how much they should, you know, compensate. We're working on more tools on our website to, 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 to help them. Um, now, to your question in terms of the alternatives out there, what I would say is that, you know, today there are these certification bodies that have uh, very uh, strict protocols for the issuance of carbon credits. Uh, I, would main, I would name four that are, you know, uh, very well respected. Uh, VERA, or Verified Carbon Standard, VCS, American Carbon Registry, Climate Action Reserve, and the Gold Standard. These are um, entities that issue credits with, with good protocols that, um, that, that include not only forest projects, but also renewable energy projects and other type of, of, of carbon offsetting projects. Um, I would say that, yes, that people should be looking for those uh, certifications, that people should be looking for transparent information as much as possible and that people should be um yeah just you know also making an opinion in terms of what resonates with them you know we we, we are big proponents of forests and nature-based solutions because we believe that renewable energies are already expanding rapidly driven by their own economics you know solar panels today are you know economically viable um and and you know uh there are certain carbon credits that I think that, that, that shouldn't be supported, like, for example, uh, carbon burning on a coal plant. You know, that is something that, that doesn't make sense. 
and 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 you know you know uh, carbon trading schemes that that were based on on reductions of of emissions by by big polluters. I think it's something that's also fading away. Um, so of course, you know, I'm biased. You know, I, I would suggest support forest projects, support nature-based solutions. But but there are other projects that are also you know very very valuable. So you're kind of you're talking about the difference between pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into biomass as opposed to paying somebody to reduce their carbon output, yes. which they they ought to be doing that anyway. Exactly, exactly. And it saves them money to to do it. Exactly. Exactly. So, so why pay for that? Behavior, exactly. right? You're paying you're paying some of the same people that are causing the problem in the first place. <laughs> Yes. And then, you know, I'll say one more thing in favor of forests, which is all the other beautiful things that forests provide us, such as conservation of biodiversity, uh, you know, habitat for endangered wildlife, uh, water conservation, uh, sources of medicine and food for indigenous people from around the world. And, 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 you know, frankly, you know, I'm a deep ecologist, you know, so I believe that forests have value on their own. They've been here before us humans came into this planet and we've taken down half of the forest that used to cover the planet, you know, so it's almost a, a moral responsibility to recover the forest that we taken down, you know, so uh, all that to me makes it that if, if you can validate the carbon capture forest project, that is the best option for, for carbon offsetting. When you were talking about the potential um, amount of carbon that we could pull out of the atmosphere with forests, uh, tell me that number again. Yeah, so this is based on a paper published by ETH Zurich, which is a university in Zurich, a particular lab called Crowder Lab, a, a researcher called Tom Crowder. You can look it up online. He estimated with a team uh, using satellite images that there is an opportunity to plant about a trillion trees in, in a surface okay. of about a billion hectares. And that trillion tree could take down about 200 gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere. Um, in addition to that, uh, as I said before, we have about uh, three to four billion hectares of standing forest that is estimated that they uh, recapture about 15% of the CO2 that we put in the air every year. Um, and um, and, and that is, you know, sort of like the carbon sink that we are taking out, right, uh, by, by driving mm -hmm. deforestation. So we're talking about very meaningful numbers. Um, it's not uh, a minor contribution that, that forests uh, have uh, on, on the carbon cycle of the planet. And then in addition to forests, I would say that soil, you know, in general, you know, petlands and uh, agriculture and then oceans also are a big carbon sink. And as we also decimate ecosystems on the ocean, like coral reefs, mangrove forest, and kelp forest, we are also losing carbon sinks there, you know? Um, so um, with nature, we have a, 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 a long way to go in terms of uh, reestablishing balance on, on, on carbon uh, for the planet. Do you have any plans to um, expand into credits based on soil carbon? Uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked to Alden Donnelly from Nori, mm -hmm. and and that was pretty interesting uh, to learn about the potential for soil carbon in yeah. agricultural land. Yeah. Um, what I would like say is that. Option. What I would say is that yeah, I mean our our mission says that we want to restore nature to solve climate change. So we are we're focused uh, on nature-based solutions. 
uh, land-based solutions, you know. Uh, so yes, in addition, to, we have a long way to go with forest, but in addition to forest, all the other, you know, uh, uh, solutions that I mentioned are of our interest. And, and, you know, I think that the remote sensing technologies and the type of verification that we do can also apply to, to oceans, to petlands, to, to agriculture, not in the same, with same degree of precision, unfortunately. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, eventually I think probably those are areas of interest for us. You mentioned earlier on some of the larger corporations, global corporations you're working on. And given that you're based in Silicon Valley, I'm sure you're close to a lot of them. And I know yeah. you've done some work with Microsoft in particular, but perhaps you can talk us through some of those initiatives or projects you're working with um, those large organizations and perhaps where they see these trends going in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, in the case of Microsoft, which is one of our partners, what I wanted to, what I would like to stress is that they set a, a new bar that is really inspiring because they committed not only to offset their current emissions, which is a lot uh, already to do. Many companies are, are, are starting to get these commitments, but they're also committing to offset their historical emissions since the beginning of the company. And, and so this decade, they're going to be focused a lot on, on investing on this carbon removal um, you know, projects that can help them achieve that very ambitious goal. And, and it really comes from a very inspiring leadership. You know, I, you know, uh, Microsoft is, is showing more and more that they, they really care and they're acting for it. They also launched a program called uh, the Planetary Computer in which they're trying to build more tools for scientists and, and, and companies like us to, to have more tools to, to do better remote sensing analysis. And we're super excited to, to be working with them. Another, another you know, partner that we're really excited is Shopify. Shopify is you know, the, the second largest e-commerce online platform in the world after Amazon. And they uh, partner with us as well to offset their emissions, but they're also offering their merchants to do carbon neutral shipping. Um, and they calculate what is the footprint of the shipping of the products of the merchants that choose to participate in this program. And then they compensate by supporting projects uh, in our platform, you know, so, we, so um, we're helping them, you know, get in touch with projects in the Amazon rainforest and in other forests around the world. Um, so these are really cool initiatives by these companies that can have a lot of impact. I think it's exciting that the technology you're talking about can um, really help to verify what you're doing, you know, and kind of build trust in carbon offsets because they've certainly gotten some bad press over the last few years. So right. when you talk to people about uh, offsets, what's your sense of the amount of skepticism that you have to overcome? Like how, how big a job is that to communicate that you can solve those problems and prove that you know, you're actually accomplishing something and they're not just throwing money away? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, a narrative that, that has its validity, which is that carbon offsetting is a form of uh, indulgences, like in the church of the medieval times in which, you know, people would pay for their sins and, and they'll get a ticket uh -huh. to heaven, right? Um, and, and, and probably some companies at the early stages of carbon markets did take these claims too lightly and did use, you know, uh, a cheap carbon credits to get away with continuing with business as usual. 
right? And, and we don't support that, of course. You know, we think that a company has to first measure, second, f find, uh, you know, work really hard to reduce their emissions, improving their supply chain. And then finally, whatever is difficult to, uh, you know, decarbonize in the short term, they should offset. And, and, and we think that as long as the offsets are, you know, from verified high quality sources, they are taking action today that is helping the planet and that, that we, we should support that, right? So, you know, there is some skepticism. There's some companies that they themselves, you know, are worried about, you know, trying to do the right thing and then being pushed back by, by public perception. But I think that more and more uh, companies are realizing that they need to act and that if there's always going to be some skeptics and that it's better to, to, to try to act with good intention and to start having a positive impact than to, than to do nothing, you know? So, so, you know, we hope that we can help move the conversation towards, you know, what are the things that companies should keep in mind when, when investing on a carbon offsetting or a carbon removal project? So I, I do think that there is, there is a lot of uh, room for growth. Since 1990, an estimated 420 million hectares of forest have been lost worldwide due to deforestation. In the most recent five-year period, up to 2020, the annual rate of deforestation was estimated at 10 million hectares by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. This is the target Pachama are trying to reach, and their internal metrics and data analysis support and verify their efforts. Currently, kind of what is the average price for a ton of carbon offsets and how does that money break down? Um, yeah. How much money do you guys make and then how much do the landholders make? Yeah, so generally carbon credits today go for in between $3 and $20 per ton. That's what we're seeing. The price of the ton of carbon is set by the project developer and uh, we take a commission between 10 and 20% uh, and it's not just only for the matchmaking that we make, which is what, you know, most uh, online marketplaces, you know, make, you know, you can think Uber or Airbnb, but, you know, we also provide this verification and monitoring service. We continue to monitor this project for many years and provide that information both to the buyer and to the seller, right? So, and so we include uh, that verification fee inside of this, of this, of the, of this fee that we, that we charge. And in terms of where the money goes for project, you know, as I said, you know, in, in, in the case of reforestation projects, the money goes to, to do the reforestation and to do all the investments that need to be made to prepare, you know, the project. In the case of avoidance of deforestation, sometimes the money goes just to compensate the landowners and the local communities for the lost income of uh, not deforesting, right? Um, and, and, and we do make sure that every project that we work on um, has you know uh, high integrity local partners that can uh, that can you know do what they're supposed to do, um, but you know at the end of the day we we trust on the data right we we look at satellite images and we see what people are actually doing what they're supposed to do. So everybody knows that tech entrepreneurs you know, work very long hours and, I, you know, there's a lot of passion involved. You have to love what you're doing. This is, this is your third company that you've started, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the first two that you started and how does this compare to what you were doing before? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I, as I told you, I came to the U.S. as an immigrant 
And, you know, I always was entrepreneurial since I was a kid. Um, here in the U.S., I got very inspired by the entrepreneurial spirit of New York City, right? And I, and I felt this sense of empowerment of, I can do it too. I can start a company too, right? Um, now, even though I was an environmentalist too, I didn't feel confident enough at the time to start a company to solve environmental problems like climate change. I, I was like, you know, I, I probably don't have yet the, the credibility and the skills to do it, you know. So the first startup was just an app to book hostels and connect with other people on your trips, right? And what I found now after having started that company and a second company I started, which uh, the second company, you know, I actually lost a suitcase and thought, you know, how come there's not an easy way to know where your suitcases go? So we came out with a tracker system for suitcases that with GPS and 3G, you can know where, where the suitcases go. Um, but, you know, after having started these two companies and now starting the third one, what I realized is that it's always hard, whether your ambition is to solve climate change or to make an app for sharing photos. It's always hard, right? So if you're going to be working on something that is really hard, rather work on the mission that most speaks to your heart and that you feel that is the biggest contribution you can make in your life. And so my message to younger entrepreneurs or to anybody, frankly, who, who wants to dedicate their efforts is everything is hard, you know? So because everything is hard, just go for the hard things that can contribute the most. You know, I was very passionate about travel and that's why my first two companies were related to travel. I wanted to see the world. I was very curious to see the world. Those travels led me to China where I saw pollution firsthand in Shanghai. You cannot see the next building because of the air pollution. I saw garbage in New York City, you know, and you can see overconsumption in a city like New York. And then I saw deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, right? So the travels that I did made me see with my own eyes how we were treating our planet. And at some point I couldn't deny it anymore. And I, I couldn't, you know, uh, look sideways. You know, I needed to do something about it. So after a lot of reflection, I decided to put everything I had learned, um, you know, at the service of, of, of this mission. And, and I settled here in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California. Uh, I started also, you know, first trying to live a sustainable life myself, you know, so I did a lot of lifestyle cha changes myself. And then from there, I, I, I decided to start this company. Bravo. That's a good story. Thank you so much. And kudos for the, for the podcast. A lot of people are really eager to, to learn what they can do. And yeah, I hope that my story, you know, uh, helps others. And everybody has a role to play, I believe. If you want to buy credits or find out more about Pachama, go to Pachama.com. That's P-A-C-H-A-M-A.com. And people can go buy credits right now at Pachama.com, yes. right? Yes, they can. Yeah. They can create a free account and they can decide... Uh, today, we don't have a calculator for you to calculate how much you should offset, what's your footprint, but you can decide based on budget. You know, I want to put $1,000 to help protect the Amazon rainforest. You can do it on our website. And you can be sure that that money is going to a verified forest carbon project in the Amazon rainforest. We, we, we make sure that that is, that is the case. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you, Diego. Likewise. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of How to Stop Climate Change, please give us a review or share the show with a friend. 
If you'd like to support the show, please head over to howtostopclimatechange.com slash support. All donations will go to cover expenses and help me pay my daughter Keaton for all the time she spends editing and producing the show. I couldn't do this without her. Music for this episode was done by Avery Reedy and myself, Keaton Butler. Our theme music is by Juices. 